So the reason I focus on mindset first is because all the technique in the world is not going to help you unless you see yourself as somebody who can perform. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guest, I want to mention Fund That Flip because Fund That Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, So if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. The founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless and happy Sunday and happy 2016. I hope you're having a wonderful start to the new year. Um, This show is all about helping you move your business forward, your real estate investing business forward. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And we have another wonderful best ever guest for you today. And we're going to be talking about a specific skill. Um, we, meaning he, is going to be talking about a specific skill, and that is public speaking. How you doing, Michael Park? I'm doing great. No, we are going to talk about it. Not just me. We. There we go. We'll have a nice dialogue. Yes. A little bit about Michael before he gets into his background, and then we'll dive into Skill Set Sunday and, and becoming a polished public speaker. Michael is called, has been called an uncommonly honest author by the Boston Globe. He's been called a marketing guru by the Wall Street Journal, and they were using that in a with a positive connotation when they said the word guru. Um, a sales guru by Financial Times, and he's also a best-selling author of six books, including Book Yourself Solid, and he's got a new release titled Steal the Show. Now, from a public speaking standpoint, as you can imagine, all these books he's been speaking on at many places. Um, he's also got some some academic background. He has a Master of Fine Arts from NYU's ac- graduate acting program. He's a former professional actor, and uh, he is from personal level. He's based in New Hope, Pennsylvania, but um, is from New York City. And I've seen some presentations, um, videos of the presentations he's made and he is quite an animated public speaker, and he's got a lot to share. So with that being said, Michael, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit about your background, and then we'll dive into the Skill Set Sunday? Sure. I'd love to dive in as quickly as possible. One of the things that I suggest people do in general is to try to get to the meat quickly. You know, the background stuff, it'll come out. Uh, but I, I know when I listen to podcasts or I go to a, to go to a show you know, or to keynote and and they have a lot of filler. And I'm not suggesting you're doing that at all. Please 
not at all. I'm just using this as a great teaching opportunity. If there's if there's a lot of filler at the beginning, uh, we sometimes we we speed through it. You know, we'll we'll fast forward if it's a podcast, and then we end up missing some important stuff. Uh, or we'll if we're live, we'll just keep checking our phones until we hear something that immediately wakes people up. And go, oh, I needed to know that. That was a good one. Uh, so with that said, uh, you mentioned the MFA. Uh, I, I did. I started as an actor. And man, I'll tell you, after about four or five years of working in the business, I just got too frustrated with all the rejection. I was way too young, way too immature to be able to handle that kind of rejection uh, at that time in my life. And so I thought, well, I'll go into business. I talked my way into a job for which I was completely unqualified in the fitness industry on the business side of things. I told him I was completely unqualified. And I made my case. I said, here's why I think you should hire me. And fortunately, they did. I worked my way up. I took a lot of chances. I raised the stakes, took risks, made big promises. Uh, and, you know, and I worked really hard to deliver on them. And then after a number of years in that industry, uh, I went out on my own, started a consultancy in 2003. And six books later and 275 coaches around the world, two different businesses. One focuses on the book yourself solid. Uh, side of our intellectual property. That's how to get as many clients as your heart desires. And then the other is on the public speaking side of the business. We have a business called Heroic Public Speaking, and we do events uh, all over the world. And we have lots of great teachers who teach my methodology on how to steal the show. All right. And I, I love your approach. Um, usually at the beginning of my shows, I say we cut out all that fluffy stuff and get straight to the good <laughs> stuff. So you use the word filler. I use the word fluffy. Either way, same result. Um, the the Really quick for real estate investors, what, why would you say, and I know this is like a, a softball question to you, but why would you say it's important to be a good public speaker if you're not, you know, making, you know, touring the world, but rather you're just trying to get deals done? I love softball questions. You can give me as many softball questions as you want. <laughs> that's, the, that's the last one, I Damn promise it. Oh, they're going to get harder <laughs> yep, from here? No more. Sure. Yeah, they get harder. Okay. Well, look, anytime you speak publicly, you're public speaking. You open your mouth, words come out. That's public speaking. You see, when I wrote Steal the Show, I didn't just write it for people who want to speak on a stage. I wrote it for everyone who wants to steal the show during life's high stakes situations. Because the quality of our life is determined by how well we perform during life's high stakes situations. And life's high stakes situations are many. An interview, a negotiation, a sales pitch. Even the first time you meet your future in-laws is a high stakes situation. And there are elements of performance in all of those situations. Now, here's the thing. Oftentimes people get nervous because they hear the word performance and they think that I'm suggesting you somehow pretend to be something that you're not during those situations or that you are manipulative. No, 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 no. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Good performance is not about fake behavior. Good performance is about authentic behavior in a manufactured environment. Good performance is authentic behavior in a manufactured environment. And all of those situations are manufactured. They're contrived. The stakes are high. There's a lot of pressure. 
We have to think about what we're going to wear, think about what we're going to say. We have to think about what the other people want. All of those questions demonstrate to us that we're making choices just like an actor would in order to develop a character just like an actor would that would play the right role in that situation, just like an actor would. Now, the difference, of course, is the actor is actually pretending to be somebody else. You are developing a character, playing a role in all of those different situations that is based on the best parts of yourself. Not pretending to be somebody else, not trying to be like anybody else, but the best parts of yourself. And some parts of yourself will be more appropriate for some situations and some parts of yourself will be more appropriate to other situations. Can you give us an example? So it sounds like you've got to have self-awareness to identify what type of situation you're in and then be on a conscious and hopefully eventually subconscious level know how to interact based on your the role that you need to play, um, being genuine and authentic to yourself. That's right. You got it. Exactly right. Self-awareness is key. I think self-expression comes as a result of self-awareness. Self-expression without self-awareness is just masturbatory expression of what you think and feel. Self-expression based on self-awareness allows you to choose what you're going to share, when you're going to share it, why you're sharing it, based on the result you want to produce. So here's a real-life situation. Herb Brooks was the coach of the 1980 U.S. men's Olympic hockey team. And when he was given that job, he made some very unconventional choices. He picked players who weren't necessarily the best players known to the Olympic Committee at that time. He didn't involve them in his decision-making process. That pissed them off. Then he worked those guys so hard that they hated him at first. He was not their friend. Now, interestingly enough, before he coached the team, he was known as an affable coach uh, at his university. He was a nice guy, you know, friendly with the players, etc. But he made a very different choice to play a very different role when he coached the men's U.S. Olympic hockey team. Why? Well, he knew that he needed to produce a remarkable result. And he felt that the role that he played when he was coaching at the university would not produce that result for this team because they had to play a Russian team that was far better than them, far bigger than them, and far meaner than them. So he decided that he would play a new role. Now, why did he make sure that they hated him? Because most of the players coming in there were amateurs from, well, they were all amateurs from different colleges. They didn't use pros at that time. And they hated each other because they'd been rivals on the ice. They'd been punching each other in the face for the last four years, uh, you know, when they play the games. Apparently that's what hockey players do, punch each other in the face. So he figured if they hate me, hate me more than they hate each other, then they will bond together. I need them to bond together to be one team and I'm going to be their antagonist. And guess what? They won. Now, 
Did he get any approval while he was coaching that team? No. Did the Olympic Committee get upset with him? Yes. Did his players think he was an ass? Yes. But guess what happened when they won? He got a heck of a lot of approval. In fact, as much approval as you possibly can get. So the reason I mentioned that story is because sometimes we're afraid to play different roles in different situations because we are so desperate for approval. We want people to like us. We want people to say we're doing the right thing. We want people to say we're good. We want people to say we're smart, etc. But when we when we make our decisions in order to get approval from people, those decisions don't necessarily move us toward our desires toward our agenda, towards what we want to produce, create, make happen. So I ask you, what is more important to you, approval or results? Because if it's approval, you may water yourself down, pander to people, and play a role that other people want you to play. They will cast you in the role they want you to play. But if you focus on results, then you will play the role that you want to play based on what you want to do with your life. That's why this is so important. Does there always need to be an, an, an antagonist? I don't know if it always needs to be another person, but there's always something that is getting in our way. And sometimes that antagonist is inside you. Sometimes that antagonist are the voices in your head that tell you you're not enough, you don't know enough, you'll never be enough, that tell you to play it safe, that tell you, you know what, I can't do that deal, it's, that deal's beyond me. I, I couldn't handle that, I can't manage that, that's too much. Well, you gotta be the protagonist that is willing to fight those voices in your head, those small, insidious, pernicious, small voices that wanna keep you playing small. And playing is such an amazing word because what does a performer do? A performer plays. What should we do as human beings? Play. Wouldn't that be great to get up every day and play? You say, well, I'm not in a sandbox. I'm not playing with Legos. Of course not. But why can't we make our work, our investing, our love, our parenting, all of that, why can't we make it more playful? Why can't we make it more fun? And so that's the other thing that thinking like a performer does for you. It allows you to play a lot more. And then, of course, you know, if things don't work out when you're playing, you go, oh, okay, well, I'm just playing the game of life. That's okay. Problems happen. I'm going to solve these problems. You know, I, I own two businesses. Every single day, I am faced with one problem after another. That's it. Sometimes it's a software problem. Sometimes it's a human resource problem. Sometimes it's a financial problem. Sometimes it's a technical problem. You know, there's always something there. And I expect it. And I go, okay, that's my job. That's the game that I play. My job is to solve problems. And I also know that I will never be perfect. I also know that rehearsal, preparation, and even performance is messy. And it's okay to be a little bit messy from time to time. As long as you're doing everything in your power to be in service to others as you stand in the service of your own destiny. So, we, so um, think like a performer. Think about what role we should have based on the situation. And this is whenever we are in 
as you call it, life's high stakes situations. Um, tactically speaking, what can what can the best ever listeners do? Because th- these are thought processes, and, and number one is go buy the darn book, obviously, because we need to learn <laughs> learn more. But but for the purposes of our conversation, the short amount of time that we have together, tactically speaking, what can we do to you know? identify the role that we need to have. How do we think like a performer? What are some, some, some things we can do? Sure. So the reason I focus on mindset first is because all the technique in the world is not going to help you unless you see yourself as somebody who can perform. That's first and foremost, because the confidence is a big part of the battle. When you feel capable, well, then you'll take risks. And taking risks is one of the most important principles of performance, raising the stakes always figuring out a way to raise the stakes. And when you raise the stakes in your life and you make bigger choices and you make choices more often, you are more compelling to other people. So in terms of tactics, when we go into one of these high stakes situations, let's get really clear on what we want to achieve. First and foremost, what goal do I want to achieve? And then we put together a plan to achieve that goal. Now, sometimes if we're giving a presentation, if we're giving a speech, then the way that we deliver that speech is designed to achieve that goal because every great speech has a big promise and your job is to deliver on that promise. No, maybe it's a negotiation. Well, what do you want to produce as a result of that negotiation? Have you done a mock negotiation? Have you done 10 mock negotiations? Have you gone through that process before you actually get in the room to negotiate? One of the things that we stress is rehearsal. We ask our students to do more rehearsal than they've ever done in their life. And yes, it means they've got to do some work. But one of the biggest mistakes we see people make is try to wing these high stakes situations. And I want you to think about this for a second. Let's say, let's say I asked you to go into a firefight in Afghanistan. I said, listen, I'm not going to tell you when it's going to happen. And you're not allowed to do any training whatsoever. None. I'm going to give you this automatic weapon, but you're not allowed to use it. You're not allowed to look online about how to use it. Nothing. Because you know what? When I call you up to come into this firefight, you'll figure it out. You can just wing it and you'll rise to the occasion. Don't worry about it. Now, anyone in their right mind would go, are you out of your mind? There's no way I would figure out how to use that weapon. There's no way I'd figure out how to protect myself. There's no way I would understand anything to keep myself safe in that situation. I would die really quickly. Now, that's the highest stakes situation you can be in, isn't it? I would say so, yeah. Now, when the situation is not life or death, then we tend to go, well, I can wing it because I'm not going to die. But what if you raised the stakes? What if you made the different situations that you're in more important? So you put more work into it because the amount of work you put into something should be proportionate to the importance of it. 
If it's not that important, don't put that much work into it. You'd be wasting your time. But if the stakes are high, then you put a lot more work into it because you won't rise to the occasion. You will fall back on your preparation and your training. So this is something that the, that the actor knows. And obviously I spent years doing this and in steal the show, I'm speaking to non-actors almost sounds like a different species of some sort. I'm speaking to people who have absolutely no desire to act. In fact, may be petrified by the idea of public speaking or performance. Those are the people I'm trying to reach by re-engineering acting techniques for the general public, for the real person, for the regular person, so that they can feel comfortable stepping into the spotlight. What's one way you recommend rehearsing? So it depends on what you're working on. But let's just say you are trying to pitch something. Well, there's a few things that we need to make sure we can demonstrate in a pitch. Number one, that what we're pitching will work, that it will be successful. Okay, good. Now, if we can do that, then somebody will continue to listen to us. But if we can't, then they'll turn off. So we need to make sure we can demonstrate that. Now, if they say, mm -hmm, that makes sense, I, that, that sounds like it would be successful. The next question they'll ask is, well, is it worth my time? Is it worth my resources? Is this, is this something that I am interested in? And if the answer is no, well, then that's it. They stop listening. Because they can say, well, this sounds like it's going to work for sure, but it's not really for us, so it doesn't matter. Right. Now, if you get a yes, then the next question they're going to ask is, well, is this person able to champion this initiative? Can they pull this off? Are they the one that I would trust to do this, to make this happen? to work with, to partner with, what have you. If the answer is no, well, then they might find somebody else to do it because the idea works, it's worth their time, but let's just find somebody who can actually pull this off. But if you get a yes, well, then you've got three yeses. And I always make sure that I really look at all presentations very practically first so that there's a fundamental foundation before I start looking at the fun performance elements before I try to create an experience. And if you try first to put on a show, you might be able to entertain people, but there won't be a lot of substance underneath it. And the best presentations have an enormous amount of substance that supports the entertainment elements in that presentation. Michael, is there anything else you want to mention as it relates to uh, speaking publicly um, that we haven't talked about on today's in today's conversation? There's a million things, a hundred thousand, <laughs> gazillion. We, we could spend the next you know twenty hours talking about this for sure because it is a huge topic. It's a huge topic. A couple things, really simple, really practical, to leave you with as it relates to speaking in public, is do your best to stay away from absolutes. Now, they'll slip in every once in a while. They still slip in for me. 
But I'll give you an example of an absolute. All generalities are false, including that one. Because, of course, not all generalities are false. So you see, when we make an absolute statement, we are actually embellishing. It may just be hyperbole. So if you say everybody thinks like this, or you have to do this, or it's always this way, well, then you're giving people an opportunity to poke a hole in your argument. Again, we'll do it from time to time. We'll do it when we get really fired up about something. That's when I find myself doing it, and then I try to catch myself. I said, no, well, you don't have to, but you can. It's an opportunity for you. I'd suggest that you do. I think it would be helpful if you did. It's one of the great ways that you could do this. Instead of everybody does this, you say often many people do this. You might be right. one of the people who do this. It's a slight change in the way that you interact with people, the way that you communicate, but it is a big game changer for a lot of people because they will be willing to listen to your ideas more, most likely. They will be willing to your, listen to your ideas most likely. You see how I did that? Because yep. I started with they'll be willing to listen, but then I said, oh, most likely, because they won't all be willing, but they'll be most likely uh, more, more willing to listen if there are there's room for other perspectives. Really important anytime you're in any kind of uh, public speaking situation, and I will use an absolute on that one because I think uh, that's a very hard to argue against, you know, that you, you can't leave room for other people's perspectives. But I suppose you could if you really wanted to. So, uh, so that's one of the things that I think is really, really helpful. Another thing is to try to stay away from the filler, as we discussed earlier on, especially when you're giving a speech, because what often happens is you'll do a bunch of filler and you say, okay, let's get started. But it already started about six minutes ago. In fact, if you are giving a speech and somebody's introducing you, it starts with their introduction, not when you walk on stage and open your mouth. So your introduction is part of your performance. So the way you craft it is part of your performance. The way you ask them to read it is part of your performance. So you actually will may want to work with them to get them to read it in the way that you want them to read it. And that really does make a difference. Well, another thing I'd suggest you stay away from at the end of a presentation is saying, if you take away one thing from this presentation, take away this. Why do I suggest staying away from that? For a couple of reasons. Number one, it may suggest to the audience that they did not listen to need to listen to you for 60 minutes. You could have just told them that one thing in five minutes and they could have gone to the pub and had a beer. It also suggests that you may be nervous that you didn't deliver what you wanted to deliver throughout and are just trying to grasp at straws to, to make sure that they walk away with something. And we know that Confidence is such a big part of the way that people respond to you on stage. Now, that doesn't mean you got to go out there with swagger. That does not mean you should be arrogant. But belief in your right to be there, belief in what you have to say, and belief in the audience's ability to achieve the promise of the presentation, those elements are really impactful. They make a big, big difference. 
Michael, thank you so much for sharing all these wonderful practical tips as well as the high-level strategy around public speaking. I mean, from you know, really having the mentality of a performer, but uh, real channeling your true self. And as you said, a good performance is about authentic behavior in a manufactured environment. Um, so it's being authentic to who you are, but simply choosing which role you want to play, as you gave that example for Herb Brooks, the 1980 um, U.S. hockey coach. And then talking about the very tactical uh, tips from uh, staying away from absolutes to staying away from fillers. So I'm really happy to hear that. We stay away from all that fluffy stuff, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, staying away from that, that the, the phrase, if you take away one thing, then take away this for, for the reasons that you stated. Lastly, um, the three questions that you identify are, are all three yeses to establish the foundation of a pitch. One is um, what we're pitching will work. Is what we're, we're pitching will work. Um, two is, is it worth my resources um, time, money, etc. And three, is this person able to pull it off? If those three things are yes, then you've got the foundation. Um, and then lastly, I know I said lastly, but lastly, lastly, <laughs> rehearsal is paramount, um, as you said. And really, uh, what your book is all about is reengineering acting techniques for the regular person. Love that soundbite. Um, so check out Michael's book, Steal the Show. And Michael, where's the lastly, where's the best ever place for the best ever listeners to reach you? Heroic Public Speaking. HeroicPublicSpeaking.com is a great place to go uh, if you want to learn more about public speaking. We've got free videos and uh, tip sheets and guides, etc. If you buy a copy of Steal the Show, which I highly recommend you do, you can also get additional free bonuses at SteelTheShow.com. That's SteelTheShow.com. And since you like listening to podcasts, go ahead and search for Steal the Show with Michael Port. I've got a podcast that I know you will like. Awesome. Thanks so much, Michael. You're welcome. I want to mention FundNetFlip because FundNetFlip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, So if you've got the deal pipeline but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, a, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. The founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. Familiarize yourself with Matt and what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then fund that flips the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects.